Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. A very warm welcome to the Offside Rule. We get it proudly supported by Continental Tyres, getting you to the game safely. It's season four, it's episode 15, and I'm surrounded by a double vision. Yes. <laughs> it's Lindsay Hooper and Mina Rizuki joining myself, Kate Borsay, on the show today. Hello, ladies. Hello, so nice to be back. We've missed you. We've missed Mina's pint-sized expertise on Syria and all things European football. Lindsay Hooper, you're fresh from West Ham. Fresh is one of the words I would use, fresh. I was right in the middle of Storm Barney outside West Ham Stadium today doing a couple of lives. And honestly, I nearly was like Mary Poppins. I thought, I hope someone's filming this because I'm going to get 250 quid from You've Been Framed, a live TV throw. And there I'm going to go up like with, with no need for an umbrella into the sky. Um, it was really fierce. And I'm sorry, I, my hair's all over the place, but I, I tried to spray it down before I got in. Our listeners don't care about your hair. They can't see your hair. What they do want to know is that you've arrived for tonight's recording with an <laughs> IKEA bath rack in your hand. <laughs> Have you really been busy at West Ham today or what? Yeah, don't ask about that I've been carting it round all day. It's actually things that I've taken down, and we'll move on. <laughs> Lindsay, mid-house move. If anyone tuned in last week, you'll know that our Lindsay is uh, uh, in the middle of moving house and setting up a new abode. What's on today's show? Well, loads coming up. Child's play. I love this. What a way to resolve a dispute. Tammy Abraham and Patrick Roberts played rock, paper, and scissors to decide who's going to take a penalty for the England under-19s when they played Japan on Saturday. So I'm asking you, ladies, other in genius ways or different kind of ways to resolve disputes or fights uh, amongst people on or off the pitch in football. We're also going to be looking at buyback as well after the news that Matthew Flamini is something of a financial mogul. He's secretly been running a company that's doing very well outside of football. More details later on, but he thinks that if the company entered the marketplace for what they produce, which is quite difficult, I'll talk through it later on. It could be worth around £20 billion. I think he could probably buy Arsenal for that, right? Possibly, yeah. I would have imagined so. He could probably buy any club he wants. I'm not sure he can get a season ticket. How many can he get? (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) Um, So I'd like to know any other examples of um, players investing in clubs where they played. Maybe it was chairman. Maybe they bought the club and changed the club's fortunes. Maybe it all went disastrously wrong. So footballers buying clubs. The female take on football. But let's kick this podcast off with topic one. Well, this only has to be decided one way. Before you start saying, oh, and we'll start with Mina, it has to be rock, paper, scissors, surely, this week. In the spirit of under-19s football, let's play rock, paper, scissors. Go on. So, I'm very Mina, competitive. Lindsay, rock, but do you know how to play this, Mina? Mm-hmm. Yes, OK. Rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to go first on topic one? Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Oh! oh Mina is cut through Lindsay's paper. <laughs> That's, it's that sharp edge of hers. So, topic one, Minnie, you know you get to go first. But as Christmas draws nearer, we're 12 games in and the top four looks like it's going to be a real corker, perhaps more open than in quite a few seasons gone by. So let's put our predictive powers on for this top fortune telling. So after 12 games, I want to know who you ladies think will finish in the top four at the end of the season. Mina, your scissors mean that you go first. Okay, it's Manchester City that will win it. Um, And I think United will come second. Third will be Arsenal. And fourth, I'm going 
for Liverpool. Ooh. Now, I know this is a little bit, you know, out there because nobody's really sure how Kloppo is going to do with uh, with Liverpool. Uh, Kloppo? <laughs> it's my new nickname for him. Okay. <laughs> okay, Jürgen Klopp is going to do with Liverpool. But listen, I'll be really upset if United do any, like, in all honesty, even if they come second, I'll be a little bit upset with this whole thing because I really think that the type of football that they're playing is so slow. Yeah. And I agree with everything that Paul Scholes is saying. It's just a disastrous way of playing. Nobody's even getting Rooney involved. So I really don't think Manchester sh- uh, United should be doing any better. But I still think they'll come second because, well, you know what I think about defensive games. Anyway, needless to say, City will win it, in my opinion, and Liverpool will come fourth. What about you, Linz? We're nearly, for another game, snap. We nearly are there with four identical matches. Um, I feel like I should point out that at the very beginning of this podcast season, Kate Borsay, Hayley McQueen and I mm-hmm. sat down on the very first podcast and predicted what would happen didn't we come the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So it's worth saying that we've changed our tune a lot because both you and I went for Chelsea to win the league again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Absolute fail from us there, Linz. D- you know, don't even... I, I, went, I was on CNN and they asked me to do a prediction <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I mean, there's just no... Re- I was saying, obviously, it's going to be Chelsea you know but potentially City might be back in there because you know they always do one year good and one year bad but then obviously we've really got it wrong with Chelsea and we don't even think they're going to make top four now Mm. well who could have predicted what's happened with Chelsea to be quite honest Um, Hayley McQueen though she did go for Manchester City to win the title she could still be on course and now I'm playing catch up a few months later (laughs) and I'm going to go with your top three so I'm saying Manchester City first Man United second Arsenal third and I've gone for Spurs in fourth. I think the Spurs are going to get Champions League football for the first time since Harry Redknapp guided them there quite a few seasons ago. Um, And the reason being, I'm saying that with Spurs, is the youth in their squad and the young players, they're really starting to click and gel together um, and I would really watch out for them next season. Mm. I agree with you on Spurs, actually, that they will make the top four. They were really good against Arsenal, played really well for 75 minutes. I thought they were unlucky to finish that game with just a draw. I think Pochettino's now got that team working as he wants them. It's got his style and his signature all over it. Um, He's got them training, double sessions all the way. And, you know, I think Klopp's doing some of that at Liverpool, but it's going to really pay at the end of the season or it's going to show for because a lot of the players are going to be very exhausted. You can't hit them with a huge burst of training and uh, alter things too much without seeing some sort of fail on the end of it, I suppose. It's going to catch up with them sooner or later. Well, I guess if you've got Eric Lamella actually going, tracking back and producing tackles nowadays, this is a team that can go far. I've always been a huge fan of uh, Pochettino ever since he was with Espanyol because he, one thing he was really famous for in Spain was raising youth. My only worry is whether or not that they can continue playing this intense style of football all throughout the season and whether they can keep all their boys without being injured, of course. Yeah, I think you're right about that, but I think that they're making really good headway. They've only lost once so far this season in 12 games. If they carry on, with that kind of loss ratio, then they're going to be right up there, aren't they? Do you know that um, on average, the Spurs team run 4.5 kilometres further than any of their opposition so far this season? So it just shows the work rate that Spurs are putting in. You know, it's interesting you say that because the team that ran the most used to be Juventus when they won the title. Borussia Dortmund won it in Germany for running the most. And and Klopp used to always say, my team were never going to be the best, but they were certainly going to be the fittest because if you can't win with tactics, then you have to win with that. I've gone for Spurs in third. 
actually. Ooh. I've gone all out there. Manchester City top for me, Arsenal second, as they are at the moment, because although I think Arsenal will struggle a bit, as they traditionally do, I think there's, there is a renewed something about them. And I know he's struggling with injuries, but I think they've got enough points on the board to cope with that kind of temporary glitch. Um, if Jack Wilshere's back as well, which I know he's due to be very, very soon, I think that Arsenal could maintain their strength. I don't think that they'll take the title, but I think that they could remain strong. Um, so for me, Spurs in third and in fourth, this was really tough for me because, of course, my heart says Liverpool, but my head at the moment says Manchester United. I don't like the way that they're playing either, but Van Gaal's got so much experience and there is quality in that squad. You know, forget how much money that they've spent on players. I think that they will come hell or high water just about finish in fourth. Interesting, ladies, that none of us went with some of the outsiders. Let's mention them quickly. Um, if you can put your hand up for uh, anyone who you looked at who you think could perhaps have a chance of making it through West Ham Lindsay, you've been there today. Anything about the place? Yeah, absolutely. My only question mark now would be Dimitri Payet being out until February. I think it could see them have a, a wobbly January um, and who knows how the rest of, uh, of November and December will go for them. Um, and also, I suppose that word of warning that Sam Allardyce at Christmas had them in fourth place and they plummeted. And I think they will drop off the second part of the season. Um, if they manage to get hold of Lanzini and extend a contract with him, I think that will be great. Alex Song comes back into the team. They change their formation slightly and that will be good. Um, and I, I do think Bilic is, is a brilliant manager, but maybe top eight, top eight is mm. what I would say for them. I've given a similar reason as to why I don't think Crystal Palace are going to stay up there in the Alan Pardew's known for putting together a great run and then kind of a great collapse, basically. It's always opposites with Alan Pardew. He's either very, very good or very, very bad, in my opinion. Um, Yannick Balassi has been such a revelation for them, hasn't he? You know, he's performed brilliantly, but they've suffered five losses and that's quite a weight to bear. Even though they currently sit in eighth, they've got that, that sort of heavy five losses. Remember as well, we've got a January transfer window coming yeah. up and I think that's the sort of club at the moment Crystal Palace which will get raided I think you might see a couple of players being moved on from there because at the moment as much as they'd like to profess to be if one of the big clubs comes in with a huge offer it's going to be a lot for them to turn that down Is there any way that Chelsea are going to do this Mina? They currently sit in 16th but when you look at the stats, seven losses. Now, I went back a couple of seasons. Um, Arsenal in fourth a couple of seasons ago, they endured seven losses. So it would mean that if you base it on that season, Chelsea can't lose again. Um, last season, though, Man United in fourth with eight losses. So it's looking really sticky for Chelsea. They've not got much grace there at all, have they? Can they do it? Uh, the only way that I can see this going is, for me, it looks like the, the team has uh, just lost faith in Jose Mourinho. I don't know whether they continue to say that we'll fight tooth and nail, or at least that's what Fabregas said when he came out. Matic is one of the most professional men ever. He wants to quit the national team because he doesn't feel those around him are as professional as he is. So these are players that will play regardless of the scoreline. But I do think there comes a time when Jose Mourinho's tactics no longer work. And there was an interesting uh, interview the other day with Felipe Luis, who now is back in Atletico Madrid and he said as much good that he does Mourinho there's also a lot that damages the players and you need so much strength mentally to cope so for me if this has to get worse for him to get sacked before perhaps they will bring on someone where they finish as well there is a psychological factor to it and let me just explain what I mean and this comes from Mourinho's mind I'm sure as soon as he writes off that they can't get in the top four, which I believe will which, be soon. Which he's already said, by the way, at 
at the end of last month, he admitted it would be a struggle for them to get to the top four. So is that him giving up already? Well, I think what you'll see is the shift will go into Europa League football. I don't think he expects them to get all the way through in Champions League, but maybe their best option is to win the Europa League, which means that the Premier League will become secondary. I think they'll finish seventh. They'll finish outside Europe. They don't want Europa League via that way. That would be my prediction. Because I think mentally he'll just refrain from Premier League, focus on on getting a Champions League place, maybe by winning the Europa League. Follow us on Twitter, at OffsideRulePod. And like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get In. There's only one of us. OK, topic two. I'm always interested, as is Lindsay, this is one of your pet topics, about footballers either leaving the footballing world to go into the business world, to go and earn a living in a real job, um, or footballers who have a nice sideline. I know you have a curious fascination with this. So I know that you'd love this story that I found um, that's been doing the rounds. Mathieu Flamini. Yes, Lindsay? I know it was a good story. I just thought you were struggling this week. <laughs> she told me off not so long ago about this, and then you've managed to use it as some sort of tool. No, this is a completely different reincarnation. Uh, Mathieu Flamini, he's been secretly running a company for the past seven years alongside playing football. Um, his business, which by the way is known as GF Biochemicals, who'd ever have thought a footballer would get involved in a biochemical firm? Um, it's become the first company to mass produce levolinic acid. I'm sure I've not said that right, but I'm not a scientist, um, which is said to be able to replace oil in all forms. It's a bit of a new invention, I feel. Uh, not that I'm very masterful at this particular area of biochemical knowledge, um, but basically, if all goes well, well, his company could be potentially worth around twenty billion pounds. I just, I really wish that you could meet Mathieu Flamini. I just wouldn't think that he would get involved with someone thing like this because his social life used to be so important to him. So mm. I'm surprised he yeah, had the time to play football mm. and have such an active social life and found a company that could be worth billions of, mm. of pounds. Well, well done to him. So I'd like one real life example of a player buying a club, please, ladies. Um, or if you're stuck for that, if you've got scant information on that one, uh, you can always nominate. Um, a current player who you think should really consider buying their club. Lindsay? Well, I want to start by giving you a heartwarming tale and a heartwarming story because in what has been a truly horrific week of events, and we must offer our sincere condolences to any relatives or anyone affected by what happened in Paris, isn't it great to bring in a story that that's, warms the cockles a little bit? That's what we want to do. So, Let's bring in, for my answer on this one, um, a player called George Dowell. Now, he used to play for Worthing Football Club. Unfortunately, he was involved in a car crash and it left him paralysed from the chest down, which you would think would remove him from football altogether forevermore. But he loved football so much, he's come back and he now owns Worthing Football Club. Mm. It's all come back full circle. He's the owner of the club. He said that if he if he couldn't be a player in football, if he, he would want to naturally go on to either manage or own. And he is the actual owner of this club. Um, he wants to guide now the club to the Conference South. That's his ambition. He doesn't want to sit on his laurels. He's got huge ambitions to really get this um, this club up into the higher echelons of football because they're, they're, they're low down in the leagues at the moment. But what a brilliant story. What a fantastic mm-hmm. story. I can see this on the Pride of Britain Awards in the future. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a lovely tale. Uh, he's very passionate. He rescued this club as well from what was near extinction. So I think plaudits to him and hopefully that makes us all feel a little bit warmer inside that someone can use something that was really negative in their life and make such a positive in the in the end. So anything we mention now, I mean, is going to seem really trivial, but I'll pass it over <laughs> to you anyway. It really does. <laughs> um, my story is actually on Gianluigi 
Buffon uh, because we all know him as the Italy and Juventus goalkeeper who is perhaps the best goalkeeper in the world um, because uh, he uh, decided in 2010 to start a consortium and buy out his hometown team of Carrese. Um, I'm actually not even sure if I'm pronouncing this right. I know that I'm supposed to, but uh, anyway. Needless to say, you know, they were a Lega Pro side, you know, they weren't doing very well. It's a very, very tiny club, but he really believed and he called it a labor of love because this was his hometown. Um, and this was a tiny team that he thought if I had the support of the city or the, the tiny um, place that it is and all the little fans that... that Rick- They're your small fans. They little fans. Yeah, I know, I'm the small fans. <laughs> a small number of fans. <laughs> it's really what I should have said. But thanks for calling me out anyway. Um, despite that, either way, in 2012, he decided to pump even more money and basically became the sole owner of the club. Um, having said that, it all sort of ended quite badly now because he just feels that he's not being repaid the affection. He realised it wasn't a very good business decision, but he always said this was something that he went in with his heart so he said uh, in June, he was like, this is just my last season. I'm selling all my shares or at least as much as possible. He's held on to 30% so far. And he just said, I just feel like the, the city and the mayor and the town and, and the players can't do any better than they are doing. They finished 12th in the third division. And he said, and I need to see more or and I need to be repaid in another way. And I just feel like I my heart's not in it and I'm really disappointed, but I don't want to continue my association with this club anymore. So with a heavy heart, he let go. It's uh, This is what happens in Italy. You know, you buy a team, you always have such great hopes for everything mm. that happens in Italy. And then something comes along and you realise how awful it is or the bureaucracy involved mm. and all goes down the pan. You can't help that you're sort of deeply emotional people, really. A lot of a lot of a lot of emotive decisions go on in Italy. I bet. Franny Lee. Let's talk about Francis Lee. Bit of a bit of a hero at Manchester City. Franny. Franny Lee. Yeah, Francis Lee. Um, have you got an issue, Lindsay? No, I just think that you must obviously have him on speed dial. No, he's he's known as <laughs> Franny Lee. Come on. Obviously, Lindsay uh, isn't isn't tuned into the Manchester faithful. But anyway, Francis Lee, um, whilst he was a player, in fact, it started with his father, who basically said to him that if you're going to have a football career, then you need to also have a business career. You need to have something on the side that you can go to if this football lark doesn't work out. So he set up a local business up uh, in Bolton. It was a paper recycling firm, F.H. Lee. This, this sounds like it's made up, but actually the business became really, really successful. Um, he said that he at one point employed kind of 80 to 100 people in 1978. Uh, and one of his employees working there uh, for a short stint was comedian Peter Kay. Absolutely true. Ah. Anyway, this allowed him, this success allowed him when Manchester City was struggling to buy the club for three million pounds. This is not a well-known story, but when City were down in the doldrums, he decided that he was the one to rescue it. And of course, he was welcomed with open arms by City fans who just thought that this was the second coming. You know, Franny Lee, back to rescue our club. Um, he um, certainly tried to, to turn the club's fortunes around and he, he sort of did to a certain extent but there was a, there was a whole lot of political stuff going on at City um, and it was quite a difficult environment he did later sell his stake to Thaksin Shinawatra who was the Thai president I think who of course was in all sorts of trouble himself but the point is had Franny Lee not invested in City at that time and just kept it from going under um, the uh, chaps who own City at the moment the big Abu Dhabi contingent Sheikh Mansur etc had Franny Lee not kept City going, then perhaps they wouldn't be the club that they are today. 
I'm Gary Neville and you're listening to the Offside Rule. All right, let's move on to topic three, ladies. What a great way to resolve who's going to take a pen in the true spirit of an under-19s game, or should that be more like under-7s? Who knows? Tammy Abraham and Patrick Roberts, they played rock, paper and scissors to decide who was going to take a pen. So, ladies... Throughout the years, there have been a fair amount of disputes in football. Some have been resolved in the normal way. Some have been resolved in a slightly alternative way. Mina, what did you find? Okay, so as much as I tried and and desperately was trying to think of like ways that or bizarre ways in which uh, on the pitch matters have been resolved, I couldn't think of any. I thought of many hilarious stories, but unfortunately not one where they resolved issues. Because, as we know in Italy, they don't resolve them. (laughs) Did you not hear about the players that had a game of hungry hippos on the pitch? No. Did you not hear of that? And the ones that climbed a tree and who could get highest up? No, you don't get trees around foot. What are you talking about? Have you not heard of these stories? Tell me the story then about the hungry hippos. Are you just joking? (laughs) (laughs) I'm winding around. (laughs) Don't do this to me because I thought I was really bad at my job. Okay, right. (laughs) So so the one I was going to talk about was the thing that happened recently. It was all over the newspapers. I'm sure you heard about it. Oh, yeah, the game of Buckaroo. Oh, God. Sorry, sorry. Okay. So it was to do with Trabzonspor in the Turkish League. We all know Trabzonspor, I'm sure. They're the team that said, oh, well, if Galatasaray beat Juventus, then surely we can too. Ha <laughs> you didn't. Anyway, point of the matter is, is I have a little bit of a thing with them. Uh, anyway, they're a very big team in Turkey and in the Turkish League. And they had a Wednesday match um, against, let me let me see, it's, it's Gaziantep Spor. Yes, I'm not entirely sure that I said that very <laughs> right. But the scoreline was at 2-2. And basically, the referee at the time refused to award a late penalty at the time to Trab, Sponsor. And so what happened was the president of the club, who wasn't there at the match, called on to his people to say, right, you're going to lock him up in the stadium. Lock up the referee. Lock up the referee in the stadium. Uh, and all his officials until I get there. <laughs> so then this poor little referee who didn't actually do what he you know, was supposed to do it on that sense was was therefore locked up overnight, by the way, and only released when Turkey's president, Erdogan, intervened. And only then did uh, did he say, um, I to- this is this is exactly what the Travis president said, I told stadium security not to let the referees leave until the morning, until I arrived. But a very important person and called me and asked me not to cause embarrassment in Turkey and around the world. Of course, I mean, this is... By the way, this regularly happened in Italy. No, I'm joking. But we do have stories of Juventus and Moji at that time that were similar to this. Um, anyway, he has now been fined and uh, sort of... Uh, Lot, lots of money and I think it's 280 day ban basically wow. from football now because of this but what was really funny about it at the time is he said that he was only doing it for the sake of his safety of, of the official because that if he did let him go mm. he'd be attacked by the fans so he thought you know what, I'm just going to lock him up instead <laughs> so honourable right <laughs> so honourable indeed I've got a similar one where uh, outside forces came to uh, try and resolve an issue on the field of play I'm going to take you back to the 1982 World Cup bit of a fable tale I've got a brilliant but I can't remember who it's by but it's like World Cup classic tales it tells you about the India team that turned up to play a World Cup game without any shoes all kinds of little fables anyway it also tells us of the 1982 World Cup um, Kuwait were playing France and trailing 3-1 do you know this one? it's a great one <laughs> 
and um, Kuwait conceded a fourth goal. But they were convinced that actually the goal shouldn't have stood, that the referee's whistle blew in the build-up. So therefore, uh, it shouldn't be 4-1, but 3-1 instead. So several of their players weren't even paying attention, really, weren't really playing when this goal went in. Um, so instead, the president of the QATFA, I'm going to hand over to Mina. <laughs> Sheikh Fahed Al-Ahmed Al-Sabah. Thank you. Uh, emerged godlike from the stands, marched onto the field of play and began to have a pop at the referee. Um, he basically then urged his team to leave the field until the goal, or unless the goal, was chalked off. <laughs> Incredibly, <laughs> the referee was like, OK. Because <laughs> this force of nature exploded onto the pitch and the goal was ruled out. This is really interesting because right now I'm wondering, how much does Kate Borsay listen to me in these podcasts? How much does she take in? Have you given this story before? Very recently. Oh, really? Was I here? Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. Anyway, I'm going to repeat it because it's a good story. Um, The referee um, got all kinds of pelted, by the way. He lost his international status in the aftermath for um, agreeing uh, with the president of the QATFA. Yeah, but he shouldn't have done. He shouldn't have been bullied in that way, should he? Lindsay. Well, I've been inspired because uh, a couple of members of the offside role, we have a, a lot of members of the team that are behind the scenes on our Twitter page, Facebook, website. We've got lots of bloggers and occasionally we get invites. And I went along to a FIFA 16 launch. Now, I must point out here to play computer games. The last time I did such a thing, I had a joystick and I played Bri- <laughs> Brian the Lion on an Amiga 600. Oh, okay. oh so God. it didn't bode well that I would be that great at FIFA 16. However, Harriet, who used to work for us because she's actually left now, um, she she did brilliantly. So I, I sent her playing all the games, a bit of a free bar whilst we were there. <laughs> and it inspired me to think of computers and how much they've come into the modern game. And something that Harry Redknapp once said in an interview with Wired magazine, he said after a defeat, well, this is when he was manager of Southampton, I tell you what, next week, why don't we get your computer to play against their computer and let's see who wins. And he was referring to all the stats and all the mm. computer jargon that we have around football now. Because did you know Manchester City have 11 people who take statistics for the club. So it has become a highly computerised game. And I think, although it's yet to be done... We should take Harry Redknapp up, up on that. We should have it settled. Because just let the computer guy, let, let the managers have a week off. They always complain, don't they, that they don't have long enough break <laughs> over winter. And they should nominate one week in the yeah. season and just say, just let the computer guys, the statisticians. Computer week. I yeah. like it. I really like that idea. Just let the robots take over for, for, for a week. Yeah. Fantastic. You know they talk about statistics and everything, but this was the premise of the, of the film Moneyball at the time that uh, had won Oscars because statistics are important. And if you actually follow them, you never know. Maybe Harry Redknapp, had he actually looked at a style too, might have done a better job. I think it actually, though, Mina, depends how far you take the statistic. You know, the player that's that's had the most touches, but if those touches, they may have been successful, but maybe they haven't led to anything. And then suddenly that person's value escalates, January transfer window comes, and they're like, well, this player has had the most successful pass completion but actually it's not ever materialised to anything and suddenly their stock is increased. I don't know. I don't always agree with it. No, I agree. There has to be a line as to when you stop reading stats. But I do think that sometimes you need to look. You'll see a player hasn't actually done such a great job. But when you look at all the stats that he's done or how much he's actually pushed the game forward, perhaps not in the way that you can see on football, but mainly because he's playing a sacrificial role, then he actually becomes a more important player or one that you will miss if he's not around. Um, I do think that there is a limit. So I agree with you there because sometimes you can see lots of passes being done such as Man United for example and think wow what a nice team they keep possession no point if they're not going forward so I do see your point there 
Well, I'm going to interject this. It's all got a bit serious here uh, <laughs> on, on the offside rule. How many times over the years, girls, do you think clubs have had to get their players out of hot water with the gift of a few shirts? And here's one of many examples. Aston Villa, back in the late 70s, were on a pre-season tour somewhere in Eastern Europe. And uh, players were at a hotel, a little bit bored. There was a practice match in a couple of hours' time. And there were a honeymooning couple. Um, the lady of which was rather attractive, uh, as the folklore goes, and was sunbathing. So what do the bored Aston Villa players do? They think it would be hilarious to pour some water on her. So two unnamed players picked up a bucket or whatever, an ice bucket of water probably, and poured it from quite... The ice quite... bucket challenge back yeah. in the 70s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> poured it from quite a great height, as the fable goes, over this sunbathing lady. Her other half, her new husband, got very upset by this and called the police. Suddenly it got all very out of hand. The police showed up. They blocked the Aston Villa coach in at this hotel until the two culprits owned up. Suddenly it's like school all over again. No one's allowed to leave this room until you own up. The players didn't own up. They kept them. I don't know who they are to this day. But how did the club get them out of this situation? The gift of some Aston Villa shirts, not to the honeymooning couple, but to the police who all proudly walked away with signed Aston Villa shirts and very happy they were about it too. Off Aston Villa went to their practice match. So all resolved. So there you go. I bet clubs get themselves out of sticky situations a lot. The gift of shirts and footballs and autographs and stuff like that. Who knows? Perhaps you've got your own stories. Well, speaking of gifts, um, there is a competition running on the offside rule at the moment. We had one on Twitter where we gave away a copy of Football Manager, the latest version. And right now we're doing exactly the same on Facebook. And this comes out on Thursday, this podcast. So you've only got until midday tomorrow if you're listening to this freshly released, then uh, get onto Facebook and all you have to do is give us a like and a share of the latest podcast and you'll be entered into that draw. And also it being Thursday, it's FBA's night. So I know that we're recording this earlier on in the week, but Kate Borsay is going to have her glad rags on, hoping that we might actually win an award or something. Thank I don't... you for flagging that up, because if we don't win an award, I, I probably don't want to hear about it on the podcast. But anyway, um, yeah, good luck to Team Offside Rule Pod at the FBA's. Keep the faith, Kate, keep the faith. <laughs> I'll try. Um, Anyway, let's round things up just there, ladies. Thank you very much for tuning in, guys. Don't forget, you can grab a hold of us at Offside Rule Pod and OffsideRulePodcast.com, the YouTube channel, the Offside Rule TV, and also our Facebook page as well, the Offside Rule. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Sports Social Podcast Network.